AI and data science can really help to speed up the process and to help us understand the, the processes better. So computer science, mathematics, physics are all sciences that we use daily um, that help us with this understanding. So welcome, guys. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines, and a Gradient Descent. Thanks for tuning in. That means the world to us. We are Oli and Vera, and we are the moderators for today's podcast. But enough said. Let's dive right into it. We are more than happy to have Julia with us today. Julia, welcome to, welcome to our podcast project. Can you describe in one minute Who is Julia and what do you do and what brought you here? Sure. So first of all, thanks for the invite. Happy to be here. And some words about me. So I currently work at the Siemens Corporate Technology in Berkeley, California. And my research focus is combining environmental data with machine learning, especially deep learning. And my path was a bit different. Initially, I studied geoscience and environmental engineering. At the Technical University in Munich, and I taught programming to myself. And my journey at Siemens started with the Siemens AI lab. <laughs> and after that, I transitioned to a research group for my master thesis, and then I joined the group in Berkeley. Thank you for getting a short impression of you as a person. Would you say that you're a dog or a cat person? <laughs> Okay, that's a tough question because <laughs> it's a 50-50 chance that half of the audience will dislike me after my answer. <laughs> okay, so I'll I'll go with I really like animals, but I tend to be more of a dog person and I grew up with dogs, so um, that was the natural fit. Yeah. But from you're very urgent on you you come from a bachelor's in geological and neuroscience, right? And yes. then you you towards moved towards the masters of environmental engineer. Yeah. Is You know, then bridging the world to data-driven insights and machine learning, what what brought you to the field? How do you see the connection between both communities? Um, so first of all, earth and environmental science deal with the very complex system of earth, right? And earth itself has a lot of interconnected variables. We have a lot of data lying around um, that we need to process, and that sort of brought me to the field. I always was interested in the field, but in the past years, the applications and also possibilities to bridge those two fields became more um, prominent to me. So I thought I would just give it a try. And like, what is the most interesting thing you would say about combining these two fields? Mm. So I think the most interesting thing is that you actually answer questions that all of us will deal with. So in, in Earth and Environmental Science, we deal a lot with the depletion of resources. We deal with climate change. We deal with the understanding of our surroundings. And AI and data science can really help to speed up the process and to help us understand the the process is better. So computer science, mathematics, physics are all sciences that we use daily that help us with this understanding. But 
especially machine learning has been new and the application also at the conferences, the papers that are out, it's getting more and more each year and it's slowly picking up. Is that similar? So there's a, there's a trend which is called physics-informed AI, right? Mm -hmm. um, so somehow bridging a world of expertise, how we know about the world, and how, the, especially in, in, in the physics uh, field, like in the production field, and uh, these uh, are served as stimulus towards, you know, priring or, or giving them prior information to the machine learning systems. Yes. We say this exists also in the notion of environmental engineer, informed or sustainable informed AI. <laughs> Is that something? Yes, yes. I actually know a group in, in Linz um, who are hydrologists and to insert layers that have um, the physical parameters intrinsically encoded in them um, to better mimic hydrological systems. So this is definitely something I know that's, uh, that's in use right now, and people are trying that out. <laughs> I haven't seen the results yet, but I'm curious to see what they will find out. This is really interesting because it sounds like a really multidisciplinary field. And how to combine AI and healthcare um, due to the current situation with the corona crisis. What would you suggest or what are your thoughts about that? Okay, so I think AI is a really helpful tool to tackle a lot of obstacles or use cases in the situation right now. For example, it could help with the screening of sick lungs using object detection algorithms that identify then how sick a patient is based on um, MRT images, mm -hmm. or we could help to simulate the spread of the virus and model the spread of the virus in different countries given different variables. Probably we can also help the hospitals to forecast, couple the forecast with the models of the virus spread, how much resources they need and how much resources are available. That's just something I can think of off the top of my head right now. But I'm very, very sure or very certain that machine learning can be of help. But first of all, we need to have the right um, database to actually make the right decisions. I was quite astonished um, during hackathon, and you, you know, you you participated, right? And you fought also yeah. with one of the teams in the versus virus hackathon. Yeah. And, uh, and during that time, I was quite surprised uh, how little data-driven evidences have been initially used in such pandemic scenarios. A little data, you know, in, in forms of testing, but also in terms of historical evidences are being that there. And that the simulation models that are out there and being used by the communities are quite you know, unstable, let's say, or let's say quite fragile, right? Yeah. Isn't it? So the, this seems to be a, um, somehow a gap. What was your experience? You run a project as well, right? What were your thoughts on the, one of the largest, actually, hackathons, right? The world has been <laughs> 40,000. Yeah. Yeah. How, how was that? Yeah, so the hackathon was super cool. I was working in an interdisciplinary team and you just mentioned the simulation models and we were actually building upon some of those. And the simulation models we were using were based on medical research. And what I found interesting, again, is that a lot of the parameters in the model were fixed. So at some point, some expert basically determines the parameters in the model and the model is not 
organically evolving um, what you might think. So you have some boundaries, conditions that a human set in the first place. But the hackathon itself, yeah, was really, I'm a huge fan of hackathons. And I think um, it was great that the German government actually set it up and really encouraged everyone to participate. And that also was reflected in our team because we had people with coding experience, people from completely different field, like um, safety engineers, people with a business background, people from project management. And that really, yeah, that was sort of the, the beauty of it that we have never met in real life until this day. But we created something something online using the tools that are out there and worked beautifully. If I interrupt here, so you seem to be a quite a hackish girl, right? That <laughs> uh, you organized also, you know, the Nexus Hackathon on sustainable True. aspects. You participated on the on the government side as well on the hackathon, and now um, you know this enormous forty thousand people joining in in virtual teams. Everybody's in quarantine and still trying, you know, to follow the passion. What do you see? Are the difference? Are you more the the crowd folks? thousands of people participating or is it more the smaller or do you enjoy both sides of the plate <laughs> so i really enjoyed both sides first to be a part of of this hackathon which i think uh, was really the first step and brought the whole idea of hackathons into or will bring it into a lot of companies because in my team 80 percent of the people It was their first time to actually engage in a hackathon, and I'm sure they will carry that thought onwards, um, which I think is great. But then, of course, I really, really enjoy also the on-site smaller hackathons where you have a dedicated team, you meet in person, and you have the mentors that guide you throughout your journey. And I really enjoy that side as well, because... I mean, you have to be a specific kind of person, I guess, to immerse yourself into a situation with so many unknowns and a lot of time pressure. So I think that's just a challenge I really like to like to tackle. And it's just fun. So um, my recommendation to all the listeners would be to try it out someday. Wow, that's a really good recommendation. And I would like to ask or to further ask, um, what can be done to keep up the engagement? I mean, not everyone is a scientist like you or not everyone is working with machine learnings. Yeah, so I think the main point is also that you really don't need to be able to program. I mean, it's mm -hmm. what you can bring to the, to the table. There's this concept of effective altruism where it's really about doing something for good With the means you have and I think it's just about the initiative you bring to the table and as I said before I think it's really the thought of coming together in a group that's interdisciplinary and really trying with sort of a, the purpose you have at that moment um, helping to fight this crisis to create something meaningful and yeah take on a challenge and I think we will see a lot more of that, which makes me really happy because to see the silos break up and to people to work in between their disciplines and to see that those boundaries sort of crumble is, I think, where we see the next major developments in science and also in the industry. So 
speaking on, on breakthroughs and speaking of somehow um, a community and a movement, I would say, which is driven by talent in AI, if you look back the last four, three, five years, what kind of, you know, mind-blowing breakthroughs or aspects you would consider in the field of AI and machine learning as, as really that had an impact, would really maybe change your way on thinking or people's or fundaments or infrastructure? Are there any, you know, papers or people mm -hmm. or innovations you would say, oh, that was just mind-blowing in the mm -hmm. field of AI and machine learning? Yeah, so, yeah, I would divide my response into, like, the breakthroughs I experienced and that also brought me to the field. And then later probably mentioned a paper that I think is super cool. So first of all, probably to start, the concept I had of AI was really, when I was younger, was really the concept of general artificial intelligence, like computer program that knows everything we do as humanity. And that was obviously highly influenced by movies and all of that. And I think when that, yeah, something, a historical event, um, which I found really cool and that um, inspired me a lot was the AlphaGo event where DeepMind, which is now owned by Google, basically mastered the game of Go, which is a 3,000 years old Asian board game. And they managed to, to basically beat the Grandmaster at that game. And I found that a fascinating event because of variety of reason. One was just the complexity of the game. So it was not possible before and it was not foreseen that something like that would happen so quick. So there you can, it was a nice showcase for the sort of rapid evolvement of the technology. And I think it also affected the whole Asian sector a lot because obviously that was a big part of their cultural heritage. And then an AI made by Europeans comes and basically beats them there. So I think a lot of Asians or yeah, from that part of the world were also triggered at that point to really enter the field and um, to tackle this technology and use it. And as a breakthrough there, I have to jump back to my field again. So one of the coolest papers I read in 2020 is basically a paper that's about AI emulators. So emulators are sort of shortcuts that you use in scientific simulations to speed up the simulation as a whole. And like, for example, climate simulations or um, astrophysics simulations, chemical simulations. And what they did was basically using um, deep learning to make these emulators way more effective. And it's now also easier to train them. They need less training data. So there were classical machine learning emulators in place before, but now with deep learning, it, it's orders of magnitude faster. And I'm really curious what that will mean for the scientific world, because right now when you have a huge simulation, even the fastest supercomputers need hours or days to run them. That's super cool. So that's what gets me excited. <laughs> <laughs> what would be if you can dream of um, something that will happen the next five years based on this paper? What would be your dream? Mm -hmm. So th th there are a few things. First, I would love to see this paper applied in, in space exploration and space science to yeah universe um, simulations. And then for climate change too. I mean, we have a huge problem with uncertainty in climate change because if you have an error of 2% there, uh, it means a lot. And we're still trying to understand that error and to reduce it. 
and therefore we need to run, yeah run the simulation a lot of times and i would really like to see those emulators in application because yeah i can i think could help us a lot with the understanding of the natural environment that surrounds us all any thought leaders you see in the field especially maybe in sustainability or in mm-hmm. or in the, in the broader field of ai where you say like hey that's that's pretty dope people out there yeah. any any thought leader you follow up on twitter or you know or the, <laughs> you want to share with uh, with the with the community here yeah so i follow Joshua benjo a lot and mila in canada because they also turn towards climate change and i think i see that with a lot of the classic machine learning research labs at the moment a lot of them look into climate science and environmental science at the moment which which i find great but i <laughs> couldn't see that coming so i'm really excited for the future and also at the big conferences that at nips for example there's now a climate change track where they really encourage you to use the solutions for the yeah for the challenges we face in the next century also the challenges will be like to consider the responsibility that comes with usage of ai mm-hmm. and um what would you say like up in your field what are the main responsibilities you have to face good question i think uh, i could answer this this question for my field but also for the field in general so with my field it's it's point for why i like it so much or why i want to stay in that field although it's quite complicated at times and obviously it doesn't pay a lot of money <laughs> to, to save the environment ironically but i think i'm not too involved with personal data mm-hmm. and this is something where i guess you really need to pay attention what you're using and which categories you mine and another thing is also to not jump to conclusions too fast so when when you're when your data set is biased or scarce i would refrain from from drawing a conclusion too quickly and that's what i see a lot that people just are so happy to use what they what they can do that they're not thinking of other options that would probably be more robust more explainable would serve a small data set better or yeah you, you don't need to throw a, i don't know cnn and everything um or mascar cnn And then I think it's also our duty to help with the education, to be in dialogue with people who are not in the field, to help the whole debate turn from fear and emotional debate into a more informed debate where we talk about the capabilities and the options and then also the risks. But I would love to see a more informed and rational debate about the topic. But I see it's getting there slowly. <laughs> Somehow a challenge, isn't it? So if, if we say like we build intelligence application, that means we, we may also infer that, you know, these software systems have a feature of predictive behavior, which is the consumer tech-oriented perspective on AI. So they, they are very close. They know what we need, sometimes better than we are and we want, right? They make good mm-hmm. suggestions. They maybe, uh, you know, in the future be proactive, you know, um, recommending us or, you know, mm-hmm. notifying us. Um, so I think that's a kind of a hard stretch, right? So how do we go that we want to build intelligence application, though intelligence means also we need to be very close to, to, to the actual usage and close mm. To, to the person. Do you think, you know, uh, such policies 
should be set on the governmental aspect? Or is do you think that individual companies need to have their own data charter, like charter of data, right? Mm -hmm. And charter of responsibility and, and charter of trust somehow? Yeah, so first of all, I think uh, AI obviously has an image problem with the name intelligence uh, in the name. <laughs> <laughs> because... It, it makes people frightened or you have that sort of superior feeling when you deal with the technology, which is, as we know, um, often not the case. But um, I think right now machine learning solutions should rather function as a companion that help you and assist you and the human should have the last decision. I mean, of course, there are edge cases we, we could discuss about, but government regulations, hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, I spent some time in the U.S. now, and the other perspective is completely different than in Europe and and Asia. Probably, it's it's a lot. It's very different again. So I feel like every cultural circle should make their own decision based on their set of ethic values. I guess that's what I would like to see, and what would probably also make sense. So then, regulations would look completely different here in Europe than than in, in China, for example. Thank you very much for being our companion in this podcast. But let me give you for the closing statements a couple of sentences. Sure. And um, I start with a phrase and you will finish. Siemens is? Full of smart people with great ideas. My personal moonshot is? <laughs> so honest, contributing to a um, space exploration mission in some way, software or hardware. <laughs> Julia, thanks so much for, you know, spending a couple of minutes with us and sharing your perspectives on, on this fascinating field of, of AI. It is and was already a really pleasure to work and, and, and collaborate and also hear you um, about your perspectives. Sure, and folks thank you out there, time. thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned. Next episode will, will come soon, I guess. And stay bold, committed and open-minded. Um, greets from the entire Siemens AI team. 